So if anyone has a spare $10,000 check today uh, to give toward that, uh, that would be awesome as well. And uh, but I, God is so good, and you guys are good and generous, and God's making a way for us to be able to provide for all these things, and so to Him be all the glory and all the honor. It's good to be back today, and uh, yeah, thank you. Thanks for giving us time to get away. And uh, give it up for our awesome staff who uh, spoke. Uh, I was here by way of video last week, but our staff uh, did an incredible job. Cassie and Matt both did incredible in communicating during our series and getting us going into the new series that we're continuing here today. And so uh, if you have a Bible, you might want to turn to the book of Daniel. We'll get there eventually, just trust me on that. Uh, We are going to go a couple of different places before we get there. But next Sunday is Father's Day. Ladies, right? Ladies, you give it up for your men, right? Uh, It's going to be a day to honor the guys. But we are going to talk about in the Daniel series being a stand-up person in a bow-down world. And so don't miss next Sunday. We'll have a special gift for all the guys that are here. But uh, don't just come for the gift. Come for what I believe God wants to speak into our hearts and lives. But today, we want to look at what do you do when the culture... And by the way, this series is based on a book that I read called The Daniel Dilemma, uh, and, and so it talks about, Chris Hodges writes about, you know, what, what about if the culture, it, it feels like is going a different direction? Do you ever feel that way? Like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to honor Christ, I'm trying to live for God, uh, I want to honor Him with my life, make good choices with my life, but it feels like the culture you know, it's just like, you know, coming against me. It's like, it's like swimming upstream. And so what do you do when you feel that way? Uh, and how do you do that well? Well, here's what I think. I think that you can do it well. Uh, that you can honor God and also influence culture at the same time. And Daniel and his friends that we're reading about in the book of Daniel, they didn't do it by hiding and cowering down. But at the same time, they did it in a way that honored not only God, but it honored people around them. And in such a way that God gave them a platform where they could stand firm and love well at the same time. And here's my goal. My goal is God would do the same thing for you. All right? That that God would help you to stand firm and love well at the same time. Because I, I think if we can do this right, church, we can influence our culture. Okay? We we can influence the people around us. And somewhere, sometime back, and maybe you've heard this too. Uh, I heard a, a thing where you can either be a thermometer or a thermostat. And a thermometer, we would bring it into this room, and it would tell us what temperature the room is. But a thermostat would set the temperature 
of the room. Now, which one has God called you and I to be? It's not a thermometer, it's a thermostat. And Jesus put it this way, he didn't use the word thermostat, but he used the word light. He said, in a dark world, you need to be light. And what does light do? It makes things brighter and better. And so that's exactly what you and I are called to do. We are called to come into the room and make things brighter and better as a result. So when you go into work, when you go into school, when you go into wherever you are uh, in the community, it's to make things brighter and better. And here's how Jesus put it in John chapter 17. And and let me just say this. Sometimes I throw in a little nerdy tidbits, but when you're reading the Bible and you come to this section in John, it's really the Lord's Prayer. Now, I know if you grew up in church like I did, that this is not the Lord's Prayer to you. And so you're like, that's not the Lord's Prayer. Then that's God. What kind of preacher is this? You know, uh, Doesn't he know the Lord's Prayer? I know the Lord's Prayer in, in praying, Our Father who art in heaven, you know, that one that we grew up maybe hearing and maybe you've read and maybe you've memorized. And that's, that's really your prayer. Jesus taught us to pray. And he says, pray like this. But when he prayed to his father, this is what he prayed. My prayer, father, is not that you would take them out of the world. He's praying for his followers. But that you would protect them from the evil one. They are not, now look at this, of the world, even as I am not of it. You see, we're not to be of the world, though we live in the world. So we, we live in it. We, we, we can't help the, the world that we live in, but we don't have to live of the world. We don't have to allow it to influence us. We can influence it. So who is the influencer, or what is the influencer? Who's the driver in our culture? Who's the driver behind it? Have you, I, I don't know, maybe there's only two of us in here, but, but have you ever seen somebody driving and you're like, what kind of driving is that? <laughs> and have you ever kind of wanted to get up next to them and just figure it out? Just kind of look over there. <laughs> okay, that explains things. <laughs> you know. They were on their phone or whatever, you know. And, 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 so, yeah, and so as a result, in our culture, somebody's driving the car. Somebody's pushing the agenda. Somebody's behind the influence. And the Bible says, and you're going to see this in a moment, there's a mentality behind it. There's a mental attitude that's behind it, and the attitude is this. It's a Babylon mentality. It's a Babylon mentality. Now, Daniel and his friends were in Babylon. Babylon, uh, over 2,000 years ago, would be modern-day Iraq. And so Daniel and his friends have been repositioned they've been 
kidnapped, so to speak, out of Israel and brought to Babylon to live. And so they're living in this foreign culture. They're living in this ungodly culture. It's, it's so different than what the, they grew up in. And, and so they're navigating all of this. And in this Babylon city, which no longer exists like it existed then, and the, and the influence that it had, but make no mistake about it, the Bible says the mentality of it lives on. It's still active in the world today. Let, let me just show you that it really, really is because Satan's lies have never changed. Right when, when In the garden, he came to Adam and Eve, the Bible says, and, and he says, hey, I don't know you can trust this God guy. I don't know you can depend on him, but hey, you can depend on me. I've got your best interest in mind. See, God, I think he might want to be holding back on you. I, I, I think really God wants to put a damper on your party. God wants to confine you, constrict you. But I'm all about your freedom. I'm all about your enjoyment. I'm all about your pleasure. Sound familiar? See, what, what, if your tactics work, you don't change them. Even though it's 6,000 years later. And, and then... The Bible says after that encounter with the enemy in Genesis, then there's this tower that's built. Now, if you grew up again in church like I did, I heard about this tower. It's the Tower of Babel. And the Tower of Babel was a tower that people decided to build. As a matter of fact, let, let's just read about it. Genesis chapter 11, verse 9. They said, come, let's build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make, notice this, a name for ourselves. See, it's about us. It's about getting attention. It's about the focus being on us. And let me tell you something. Satan is banking on you being concerned overly about you he's banking on that he's banking on you being out for your own self interest and then in verse 9 here's what it says it says that that's why it's called Babel because there, the Lord confused, notice that word confused, the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them all over the face of the whole earth. Babel means confusion. So this philosophy is a philosophy of confusion. And the Bible says, and we're going to see it here in a moment, that this confusing philosophy that culminates in chaos and violence and all kinds of erratic behavior that, that it's from the front of the Bible to the back of the Bible. But you don't even have to believe the Bible to believe that, do you? You can just look around you today. <laughs> you can just watch CNN or Fox News or whatever your choice is. And, and you can find out that there's a lot of chaos right? There's a lot of confusion. As a matter of fact, we've never had more options and more confusion 
than today. I, I, I talk to young people all the time. They're still just confused. There's so, so many options. I, I just don't know which one to choose. I, I, and I'm afraid I'll make the mistake. I'll, I'll choose wrongly, so I just won't choose at all. So I, I, I'm just so confused. I, I don't know what to do. And, and here's the thing is in the midst of all this confusion, this chaos, and the violence that can come from a culture that doesn't understand what direction to go and has no direction, in the midst of all that, some people can say, now where is God in that? And I want to explain where God is. He's right where you left him. In our nation today, make no mistake about it, God's right where we left him. You see, when, when we move on and we think, well, you know, I've got a better idea. Let me tell you something. Here's the good thing about God. God will still show up in the midst of the chaos. In the midst of the, of, of the tragedies. You say, well, how does he do that? He does that in first responders that show up. He does that through ministries like we support called Convoy of Hope that show up at tragedies with, with blankets and with, with uh, cleansing items and all kinds of shoes and helps and, and, and just hugs and food and bottles of clean water. All of those things that people have to have at those points in their lives. That's how God shows up. Even though... We have moved on without him. Now, in the last part of the Bible, here's what it says about Babylon. Let me, let me read it for you. In Revelation chapter 17, the name that's written on her forehead. Now, this is a prophetic thing. And, and some of this, it, it just is like too way out there and it's hard to understand and, and all. But here, here's what is clear to understand. That there's a mystery and the mystery was Babylon, the great mother of prostitutes and of abominations of the earth. There was a name written in this mystery, and that name was Babylon. Isn't that amazing? I thought Babylon was gone. I thought there was ancient history. History. I thought, you know, that was an old city. and doesn't really have influence anymore. No, make no mistake about it. It's not a city. It's a mentality. And the mentality lives on. And the Bible says that mentality will be there at the very end. It, it'll still be influencing people and causing people to, to have chaos in their lives. And then in the middle part, again, it's all the way through the Bible. All the way through your Bible is this mentality. In Isaiah chapter 47, verse 8, now then, listen you lover of pleasure, lounging in your security and saying to yourself, I am and there is none besides me. I will never be a widow or suffer the loss of children. Both of these will overtake you in a moment. On a single day, loss of children and widowhood. They will come upon you in full measure in spite of your many sorceries and your potent spells. You have trusted in your wickedness and have said, no one sees me. I can get away with this. No one's really up there watching. There, there's no one really to worry about. I, I just got to worry about myself, you know. And it, 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 if it matters to me, that's, that's what's important. He says, your wisdom 
and knowledge mislead you. And when you say to yourself, and here it is again, I am and there is none beside me. Notice that phrase. Because it's just like a blast in the face of God who said to, Ad, or said to Moses, here's who I am. I am. I am. There is no other. I am. And now the spirit of Babylon says, no, I am. Babylon's motto, as a matter of fact, is I am and there is none besides me. There's no one besides me. So, here's what I want to do this morning. Is I want us to learn from an ancient king who had his life totally turned around. And it was because of the influence of Daniel. And he learned three things. And we can learn these three things today. And it can help us to be what God wants us to be. Here, here's the first thing we need to know. Is that Babylon's goal is this. To elevate self. It's to elevate ourselves. In other words, self-adoring. Now, we have a whole new word in our culture that I didn't grow up with. It's the word selfie. Right? Is that how it works, ladies? I don't know what you're doing, but uh, I see it all the time, okay? I'm on vacation. I'm getting ready to walk somewhere, and all of a sudden, I thought, oh, let's hold up here. Let's just wait till this is over, you know? This is important. This is only her 50th take, all right, to get it right. And so what happens is, is we have this self-adoring, this self-building. You know, God, I'll tell you what, uh, I like you, and if I need you, I'll call you, all right? Because I, I, I'm going to do my life and everything, but I'll tell you what, if I get in a pinch, I, I sure want you to be there. And here's, here's how that works. We, we call on God when we need him. Because I'll, I'll tell you, our church was just a young church. We'd just been going several months. And, and we were in the movie theater and trying to build our church family and, and all. And all of a sudden, 9-11 happened. You know what happened on 9-11? Our nation was shaken by that. And that happened on Tuesday. That Sunday that movie theater that we were meeting in was packed. Packed. It wasn't packed the week before. But that Sunday, it was jam-packed. And churches all across America were jam-packed on that Sunday because everybody said, we got to go back and pick him up where we left him. We, we left him back there, and we need him now. And so we better go back and get him because we sure need him. We need him on our side. And see, in this self-indulging culture where if it feels good, just do it, this narcissistic, humanistic, hedonistic, even philosophy of feelings first. Hey, if, if the feeling's right, it can't be wrong, right? And at the same time that it seeks to elevate self, it seeks to lower God. 
to lower him. You know, God doesn't love me. Really? I'll tell you how Jesus explained it. Greater love has no one than this. Then someone would lay down their life for you. And Jesus, 2,000 years ago, once and for all, settled for you and for me the answer to the question, does God love me? On the cross, you see your answer. You see it. He loves you. And no one could love you more. And and we think, but is he for me? Oh, friend, let me tell you something. The reason why he wrote down some things that said, you don't do this, don't do this, and all, it wasn't to inhibit you, it was to help you. See, the reason why he said, you know, don't let there be any other gods but me wasn't because he was selfish. It was because he was helpful. Because when you get other gods in front of him, it doesn't work well. It doesn't work well in your life. And and when you get lustful and whatever and have uh, adulterous type of things going on, let me tell you something, your marriage isn't going to go well either. And, And if you lie, eventually... It'll catch up to you. It'll hurt your business. It'll hurt your family. It'll, it'll hurt all kinds of stuff. So see, God wasn't trying to hurt you. He's trying to help you. And he's trying to bless your life and improve your life and help it to be all he wants it to be. And, and then we say, well, I think God just wants too much from me. Really? Here's how I feel about that. If I lived to 120, I wouldn't even come close to paying him back for all that he's done for me. How about you? I could live to 150 and it wouldn't even come close. Because let me tell you something. He hasn't just blessed me on this earth. He's promised me. He's promised you a home in heaven where I will live forever and ever in a place where there'll be no crying, no weeping, no sickness, no disease, no hell. None of that. All the former will be passed away and I'll be in an all new place. And I can't wait to get there. How about you? going to be awesome. So just think about all that he's done for you. But I'll I'll tell you, let's just be honest. Let's just be honest. This mentality, this Babylon mentality wants to infiltrate your thinking, doesn't it? Wants to come in and influence your life. So let's look at what Daniel does in this situation and and how that he uh, comes against these things. There's three I wills that we're going to see in in this story that that Daniel helps us to see. You ready for this? Daniel chapter 4, verse 4. Here's what it says about the king. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. Oh, that sounds like the American dream, Right? That's like what we're all shooting for. You know, oh, I could be there. I could have that. You know, just be in the palace, just shooting selfies, you know. know. Here's my new robe, you know. It's, It's better than the new one I had yesterday, don't you think? And I thought I had my best side yesterday, but I found another best side. I've got all kinds of best sides, you know. 
And he's posting all the time. Nebuchadnezzar is so consumed. Oh, look how great I am. And in the midst of this, here's what he has. He has a dream. He has a dream about this big tree and it's so awesome and so huge and so massive and, and all these animals are able to take shelter under it and people come under it and it's just, it's just great and it just continues expanding until a day when God says, go down there and chop down that tree. Leave it as a stump. And Nebuchadnezzar is so bothered by this dream that he says, hey, magicians, hey, you, you wise people around here, tell me what it means. They said, oh, king, we, we, don't, we don't know what that means, but we know a guy. See, this is why it's important for you to be there at work. You think, well, I think I'm the only Christian at work. It's important for you to be there. I think I'm the only Christian in my class. I think I'm the only one around. It's so important for you to be there because they said, we know a guy who knows a higher power, and we think he might be able to do what we can't do. Well, get him in here. And so Daniel comes before the king, and, and, and he has this opportunity then to, to tell the king what the dream means. And so in verse 22 of chapter 4 of Daniel, he says, Your majesty, <laughs> hey, having a good day? I hope. Remember that dream? Yeah, the one you want to know about? Well, that tree that gets chopped down. That would be you. You are that tree. You've become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky. Your dominion extends to the ends of the earth. You're, you're incredible. Yet yeah, your majesty is, is phenomenal. It's amazing. And, and he says, you know, here, here's what God will do. God's going to do something, though, that, that you're not going to like. And, and here's what he says. You'll be, verse 25, you'll be driven away from people and will live with wild animals. You will eat grass. Now, not smoke grass, all right? Some of you, maybe you've done that, but, but not do that. You're going to eat the grass, all right, like an ox and be drenched with the dew of, in other words, you're not going to live in a palace anymore. You're going to sleep outdoors. You'll be sleeping in the yard. That's what's going to happen. Seven times will pass by until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone He wishes. This insanity will come to you. You just have this confused thinking. See, this is the Babylon thinking. Babylon, confusion that this confusion will come to your mind. You think you're getting smarter. You think by you being God, by you calling yourself God, you think by doing your own thing, you think by going out there and ignoring the most high God that life's going to go good. But I'm telling you, it's going to lead to madness. It's going to lead to chaos in your life. That, that's what's going to happen. And, and here's, here's what Nebuchadnezzar does, is he doesn't listen. Just like many people who, who hear a message like this or, or hear something, and, and yet they'll walk away. But here's the good news. The good news is, even though 
He says, you're going to be cut down in verse 25. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. I want to say something to somebody who's away from God today and you came back into this church this morning, maybe for the first time in 10 years or whatever it's been. I'm telling you, God has the power and the ability to restore you. He will restore you. He is a restoration specialist. All right? He specializes in restoring what's been broken and what's been in bondage and what's been bruised. He can liberate and heal. And God, the beauty of the story right here is that God will always leave a remnant. God will always leave a stump. God always leaves something there to work with, and that's all he needs, is he just needs a little bit to work with. If you just got a little bit of faith today, but you'd activate it. Mm. If you just got a little bit, oh, I just maybe believe God is still there a little bit. If you just release that, God can work with that. God can do amazing things with that little bit of faith. And so here's here's what he does. He doesn't pay attention. He doesn't take the advice. He doesn't take the warning. And within a year, it happens. And the king is out there like a madman. He has lost all sanity of his life. But at the end of that time, look at verse 34. I, Nebuchadnezzar, listen to this king's words. I raised my eyes toward heaven. And my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. Now listen, this is a wicked king. This is not somebody who grew up in Sunday school, okay? This is not somebody that's been seeing, you know, this little light of mine. This is somebody who thought he was the light. And there was no other. And he says, but my sanity was restored, so I praise. How many know you're going to praise somebody who restores what's been taken away? You're going to give the glory to whom the glory is due in your life when it happens. And he says, I praise the Most High. I honor and glorified Him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. I realize mine's just a little, little dominion. And His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as He pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back His hand or say to Him, what have you done? Look at the next verse. At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored because God is a God who is able to restore. He restored me to my throne, and I became even greater because God's able to take all the bad and the good and the ugly and work it all together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I got, I'm going to get excited if I don't watch out here, all right? 
All right, so now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right. See, you may not believe it right now, but I'm telling you there'll come a day when you will acknowledge that he was right. It'll happen. It'll happen. And sooner is better. And all his ways are just. I I got it now. I I got it figured out now. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Here's the three phrases as we wrap this up. Here's what I want you to walk away with because this will help you to thrive in Babylon. The first thing this king said is, I will exalt God. Say that with me. I will exalt God. I will exalt God, not just on Sunday. Oh, it's easy in here, isn't it? I mean, no, it's easy in here, right? But I'm talking about Monday. I'm talking about Tuesday. I'm talking about other days of the week when when things aren't going so great. And, and, And then people say, oh, you know, I just think faith, that needs to be a personal thing. Well, let me tell you something. When God got into my personal life and changed my personal life, it became public because God did such a work inside of me, it can't stay in there. It can't stay in there. It's got to come out. And let me tell you something. We know how to worship. Even our culture knows how to worship. Let me tell you something. In a few weeks, in a few weeks, people will gather in what I believe to be the largest worship center in the central Indiana. It seats over 60,000 people. And in that worship center, they will gather and raise their hands, and they will clap, and they will shout until they're hoarse, And and they will scream and dance around and, and, and they will get excited and they will pay big money to do it, to watch the Colts play. We know how to worship. And and here's what I think. I think if I'm sick and I'm ill and I need help, I'm not going to be able to call the team and say, hey, you Colts guys, come over to my house, help mow my lawn, and, and help me out here, because I'm not feeling too good. I'm a fan. Right? It's getting quiet in here. <laughs> but, but, but let me tell you something. I'm all about the Colts. I hope they win the Super Bowl this year. It'd be great for our city. It'd be great for everybody. It'd be awesome. Oh, great. Okay, so I'm all about that. But let me tell you something. If I do the same things that fans do, but I do it in church or somewhere else, I'm not labeled a fan, I'm labeled a fanatic. But let me tell you something. I want to praise the one who's worthy of my praise. I appreciate what those guys do on Sunday, but I super appreciate what he has done for me because when no other power could help, he lifted me, he encouraged me, he enabled me, he strengthened me, he 
saved me, cleansed me, washed me. Anybody here like that? If he's done that for you, give him about five seconds of praise right now. I refuse to be beat out by a bunch of people in Lucas Oil Stadium because I have more reason to get excited. Psalm 145 verse 1 talks about that. I'm going to skip over and go on. Guys, I will acknowledge God. It's the next thing the king said. I'm going to acknowledge him. You know, I, I know that you're, you're working in my life. I, I didn't see it before, but I want to acknowledge it today. And, and so I want to trust your word. I, I, want, to, I want to hide it in my heart. I, I want to stay true to it because I know it's true. Let me tell you something. I stand here today as someone who heard God's word, and I've read it for myself, and I, I heard about a verse And I read it for myself, where if in all your ways you'll acknowledge him, he'll make your path straight. He'll take you down straight paths. Not not a perfect path, but it'll be going somewhere. And I stand here today testifying to you that any, any good thing that you see or ever see coming out of my life, let me tell you something. I put my pants on just like anybody else. I tie my shoes just like any other man. I am no Superman. There is nothing. There's no S on the inside here or anything like that. I need him just as bad as anyone in this house today. And if there's anything I know after serving him for several decades now is I need him as much or more today than I've ever needed him before. I acknowledge him in my life. And so it's not just, you know, I read a verse where it says a tithe is the Lord's. And I believe that. I believe 10% of my income, I need to honor him with it. It is his. But let me tell you something. I didn't stop there. I didn't stop with 10%. See, what I believe is he, he deserves it all. I believe that I give my all to him because I don't want him just to bless 10%. I want him blessing all of my life. I want him blessing everything that, that comes into my hands. And when you do, when you settle this, when you know that you are his and he is yours, let me tell you something, no one can hurt you. No one can hurt you. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, the Living Bible says, For what gives you the right to make such a judgment? We live in such a judgmental society. What do you have that God hasn't given you? And if everything you have is from God, then why boast as though it were not a gift? Who are you to say what you've done? The Bible says the very breath you breathe is a gift from God. The intelligence that you have is not your own. You were born with giftings, talents, abilities within you. Yeah, maybe you've done something with them, but God gave them to you. Make no mistake about it, all glory goes to him. So we acknowledge him. Here's the last thing he said is, I will humble myself. Say that with me. I will humble myself. 
I'm going to humble myself before him. And in humility, here's how it works. Either you can initiate it or life will initiate it. And so the king, you know, he was so bold and everything. And here's what the brother of Jesus said in James chapter 4, verse 10. He said, here's what you need to learn. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. He will lift you up. He will lift you up higher than you could lift yourself up, as a matter of fact. And it will either be humility or humiliation. Humility will come to those who take on the Babylon mentality. Make no mistake about it. God can bring a nation up and he can take a nation down. I'm talking a whole nation, not just a life. And so today what we need to do is humble ourselves before him because peace and restoration comes from him. Life and life to the full. And today, if you just give him your life, if you just say, Lord, I, I need to humble myself before you, let me tell you something. He will come and he will do in and through you a work of restoration like you could not believe. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that today you want to do restoration in our lives. Maybe you're here this morning, some of you, and you say, Craig, I, I know that that Babylon mentality, man, it can slip in there. And I, I know even as a believer and as a Christ follower that the culture can just sometimes send messages and the enemies trying to work through those messages and mess up my thinking. But I, today, I just want God to know I am His he is mine. I am 100% committed to him, to his plan, his purpose for my life. If that's your prayer, would you just raise your hand with mine and say, yes, yes, God, I need that. I, I want that in my life. Yes. Hands all over this room. Father in heaven, you said if we would acknowledge you, you would make our path straight. You would make it clear to us what we should do. And God, there's such clarity of thinking. There's such such lack of confusion if we'll come to you. And so, God, we just thank you that we don't have to give in to the confusing culture around us. We don't have to give in to the message around us. We don't have to succumb to that message that's going to tear us down, tear our marriage down, tear our finances down, tear everything down. We don't have to do that. And we commit ourselves all, all the more to you. Maybe you're here today, others of you, and you're more like Nebuchadnezzar. Maybe you've walked away from God, just like this king did. But the good news for you is that just like this king came back to God, you can come back today. And if you will acknowledge God in your life, he said he will acknowledge you. And if you're here this morning and you say, Craig, that's me today. I need to acknowledge God in my life. I need a Savior. I need someone in my life. I need God today. I want Him to save me, change my life. I don't even know what all that means, but what I do know is that I need Him. We just raise your hand right now and say, yes, it's me. Yes, it's me. Yes, yes. I see those hands over here. God bless you. Over here. God bless you. How many others? All right, several hands around the room. So we're going to pray. Church family, everybody pray this prayer. And, and especially those who raised a hand, just say, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on that cross for me. 
to pay for my sin. I know I've sinned, but I want to start over. So as much as I know how, I'm surrendering my life today. Come in. Wash me clean. Give me a new birth, a new start. From this day forward, I want to serve you. And I thank you for receiving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Church family, come on and give him praise today. It's awesome. Those who are going to be serving us communion, I want you to go and help us right now just as quickly as possible uh, to hand out this communion.